Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and I don't need to tell you what time it is. It's 5 o'clock Central Time, and Dr. Peter Kapsner is here in studio with me, and we are going to continue our study of people from the Old Testament. We are now officially five weeks into this, and it is, I think, worthy of us to take a pause and and do a little bit of a recap, because we have come up with some pretty uh, significant people from the Old Testament. Let me just, for review, Peter, say we started with Moses, then we went to David, and then we went to Phineas, <laughs> and then we went to Daniel and Jeremiah. Yeah, now, we can't just say we're going to commit fifty-five minutes to these people and call it a day. There's lots of things we can still know about these amazing people from the Old Testament. Yeah, we we did some, I think, really helpful surveys, and even then did dig into some of the stories a bit with some of the amazing guests that we've had so far, but. When you start reading their stories, it covers a lot of space in the scripture, what's all there. And so there's other details that we can definitely dive into related to these characters. And we want to study this with you. We want to do this alongside with you, which means we want you to be involved at whatever level you like. I, I As we've talked about Moses and David and Phineas and Daniel and Jeremiah, and if you've listened and you thought, you know, they never brought up this point, and I didn't hear them talk about this, uh, this would be a great time to share what you didn't hear, what you'd like for us to know, and what we can share with everyone else. And we'd love to hear from you at 877-933-2484. You can send a text over to us. Moses, David, Phineas, Daniel, Jeremiah. That's the first five weeks of our Old Testament study. And I know this will go on for probably a year, which I'm very excited about. Yeah, the more you get into the Old Testament, the more you do find characters that, quite frankly, I am terribly unfamiliar with and really excited to study. I know the big names. I'm sure most of our listeners do, too, of course. They get covered in Sunday school classes and VeggieTale episodes, and they're <laughs> the subject of sermons, and, and they're almost popular culture, some of the, the names. They make their way into some of our media and some of our movies, and so I, I would say that people who aren't followers of Jesus also know some of these names, but... When you start reading and you see significant events, sometimes only given three or four verses to one person, mm-hmm. but a significant event happens through them, it, there really is a lot to mine in this. And it's an exciting study because I say it often, the Bible's a pretty big book. And those, those of us that think that we've got this whole thing dialed in, we probably need to take a second look at what we're all missing. And Peter, here's what it's done for me as we start to study these uh, people. It's fired me up to go and do my own personal study. Yes. And indeed. to learn more and to go, I didn't know that. I got to go learn more about that. So one of the things I was hoping we could all do as we were learning about uh, people from the Old Testament is always have like two or three things you have at the t- on the top of your your mind about any particular character from the Old Testament. So let's, for example, just r- review a little on Moshi. 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 Just the fact that you're pronouncing it as Moshi tells me something, Bill. Well, that's Hebrew for Moses. See, I mean, you're already in the linguistics of the original language on Moshi. I know. And did we know that Moses was 80 years old when God first made contact with him? It really is pretty remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he called him out for this mission. 
and that everything that Moses experienced in the Lord occurred in the last 40 years of his life. Yeah. And even that number 40 is so symbolic within the biblical text. Clearly the, the text is working on a literal level. These stories really happened. The characters really did what they did. The, the places are real, but, but the Hebrews wrote with such rich imagery and rich symbolism as well. They, they knew what they were doing as they wove their tales. And that number 40, I think if, if somebody just wanted to do a bit of research on the significance of that number, it usually is reflective of a time when, when a significant shift is happening in somebody's life. That's, that's something about their way of life is dying off and a new season is coming on. So you see Moses's life broken up in these 40s where he was growing up in Egypt as mm-hmm. in it, it, within the, the household of the Pharaoh. And then after 40 years, he finds his way into the wilderness. In the last 40 years of his life, he is now ministering uh, in these incredible ways uh, on behalf of the exodus of the people. And 40 shows up. I, I think it's, don't quote me on this. I'd have to look it up again, but I believe it's 160 some times in the Old Testament, which means pay attention. I mean, Jesus is out in the wilderness for the 40 days. The mm-hmm. 39 lashes matter right. because they're the one short of the 40. So if somebody wanted to spend even a month within the richness of 40 in the Old Testament, independent of any character, they would find a whole treasure trove of really interesting symbolism. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a great uh, reminder that it's never, ever too late to say to the Lord, whatever you have for my life, uh, whatever your plan is, and I say this oftentimes as I'm signing off at, at night, that as you lay your head on the pillow, know that God's working out his great plan in your life. And for Moses to be 80 right, and to think my mission starts now, what a great reminder to everybody that it's um, God may be saving this time in your life your 70s, your 80s, to do your most significant work for him. Yeah, you you and I are regularly consulting the website at our ages, putmeouttopasture.com, right? I mean, this is this is the time right. of life where, in, in theory, you're supposed to be winding down towards crossword puzzles and golf courses. And, and, and some dimension of that kind of freedom of retirement, I think, is is a welcome invitation and, and a needed rest and things. But I know... I know a, a man who's been significant in my own life as as a mentor, and in fact, it's it's my own father, who when he was about 62, he said, God, I have an, one last season of life here. I don't know how long it's going to be, whether it's a year or 20 years or 30 years, but I, I'm not going to retire in the, in the way that we tend to think about retirement. Mm-hmm. I'm just, use me however you will in the season. My dad is somebody who barely made his way through high school. I think if he was on the air with us right now, he would talk about the fact that he probably cheated his way through high school here and there. And uh, and he's sort of made his way through this world, ultimately deciding to follow Jesus at the age of 35. And in this last season of life, somebody who didn't have any connections in Africa, no education to speak of, no pedigree. I mean, similar to Moses out, out in the wilderness, right? And and God has now used him to translate the Bible to hundreds of thousands of people across the continent of Africa. And he could probably tell you the stories of what happens when you simply just make yourself available. When you just say, I am available, Lord, mm-hmm. the, the little daily things that happen that lead one step to the next to the next. And, and I think you've, you've rightly said it, Moshi, as you would say, <laughs> was, was very much invited into that kind of life at a really significant stage. And all of his background prepped him for that. Yeah. I've got a surprise for you. Your dad is in the room next door. Let's That's, bring him in right now. <laughs> that, now that would be a surprise. Indeed. Indeed. I love it. And another thing I was thinking about Moshi was he didn't seem to be too afraid of the presence of God. I mean, right? 40 days on the Mount Sinai with God, um, yeah. and among other things. I mean, just the, the, the thought of being in the presence of God the way he was is amazing to me. And he didn't seem to be too freaked out by it. It's really true, right? Yeah. 
At one point, he says, show me your glory. He has the audacity to say, show me your glory. And God basically says, no, thank you. I'll show you my goodness, which is this different word in the, in, the, in the Hebrew language. But of my glory or the weight of the source of all things, I can't show that to you, Moses. But Moses had such a comfort level with God that he was able to ask even for that. Yeah. I was reading something I thought was kind of interesting. Um, I've always lo- loved the Beatles. I don't know if you like the Beatles. I do, yeah. of course, yeah. But Billy Joel was talking about the fact that he has sold out Madison Square Garden a hundred times. But he has a house in the Hamptons. Right. And so does McCartney. And he, he will come over on occasion, McCartney. <laughs> and Billy Joel says, I'm kind of weirded out. It's like, Paul McCartney's in my house. <laughs> He's one of the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know how you have this sense of awe and, right. and respect for, you know, even an earthly person. Now multiply that times 89 trillion, uh, you know, right? Uh, whatever. And you've got Moses entering the presence of God. Yeah. Well, I, I, there's no number that can quali- quantify that. Yeah, you know, you I'm just, just throwing out 89 trillion is a ridiculous number. Yeah. No, with that, <laughs> I think that's, that's got to be relatively close. Uh, uh, just what you would feel, just, just the awesome reverence of God. I, I have been thinking actually in the last six months, sometimes, and again, I'm sure many of our listeners, there there's seasons of time that you're on the journey with God, thinking about things and maybe growing in certain kind of ways. And in the phrase related to God that has really been ministering to me in these last six months is, is that he is a God of inexhaustible riches, that that you could spend every minute of every day for eternity and you would never exhaust the end of his riches. You would never get bored. It would never be dull. It would never be uninteresting. And and I think about all the ways in which I reduce God when you're talking about the 89 trillion God of in, inexhaustible <laughs> riches. And yeah. yet Moses, he... God, you think about that and then the grace that that kind of God offers to just condescend and be in our presence as a, not necessarily a colleague, but Jesus even says, I've called you to be friends. Right. And you see this, this, this friendship between God and Moses that is really unique when you read through all the different places in which that friendship shows up between the two of them. Yeah. Let's talk about the fact that Moses um, got God to change his mind. Yeah, that's a that's, that's a, a tricky mind one, isn't blower. It? Yeah. it is. It is. Yeah, when he saw God, he was so furious that he wanted to consume the Israelites right on the spot. And Moses kind of steps into that place and says, "Well, maybe we should rethink this." Yeah, yeah. There's a a lot of different scholarship on that one. I, I back in probably two thousand four, five, six, I made my students do quite a bit of exegetical work because I didn't know what was going on, so I just make them do it instead. <laughs> and that's uh, so smart. yeah, no, delegate. Gonna, oh, delegate. Yeah. I, then I would get thirty research papers, and I didn't have to put in the time. So <laughs> it was it was brilliant. And and scholars still don't for sure know what was going on there. And I know you've had guests on the show that have addressed it. I've been in, in the studio with you when guests have tried to address this. And and some of the translations will even go as far as to say that God repented. And and that gets dodgy. If no, you're I putting, agree. Yeah, I, I don't think that's the right I translation. I get it. The idea of God changing his mind or relented, I think most of the scholarship suggests that God did have a plan in mind. And there was kind of a, a, a testing going back and forth between him and Moses. And so God more rhetorically saying, I'm going to kill these people. What do you say about that, Moses? And and are you still willing to lead the people, even though they're worshiping an idolatry this way? So maybe more of a test than it was God saying, I'm going to wipe them out. And Moses says, hang on a minute. And God's like, oh, yeah, I hadn't considered that angle before. So <laughs> I don't know that that's the, the, the second is the right approach. I think the first one is there's a yeah. test there somewhere. And when Moses says, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people hmm. whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? I had to stop and think about Moses uh, saying that to the Lord. 
so he could identify what hot um, wrath looks like. That's a very oh. good point, yes. You know, how do you know God well enough to know mm-hmm. that this is what he's dealing with? Yeah. Like, are you mad about something? Yeah. Versus, ooh, your hot wrath. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I certainly have a perception of hot wrath. And, I, <laughs> I and I'm, I'm guessing and I'm it's not the same. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah just that, that familiarity, right? I think you, you brought up a few different points right now, and the familiarity that he had with God to the point where he saw all these different sides of God and even spent time in the cloud on Mount Sinai with, with receiving the law and the covenant and all the way to the sweetness of the end of Moses's life, that though he was not going to go into the promised land, when you read in the Hebrew about how Moses died, that God sort of drew his breath from him with sort of this holy kiss that, that he laid Moses down, drew his breath, and then Moses went to rest with his fathers. There was a really, there's a real beauty and familiarity and intimacy between the two of them. And that really stands out in that story yeah. for me. I've got more to talk about Moshi uh, or Moses. If you I just will. love that you're calling him Moshi. Well, That's, I, yeah, I know. That's brilliant. brilliant. Yeah. Dr. Peter Kapsner and I are, are talking about our Old Testament study, which will, I know will go on for probably a year. And so far, our people that we've talked about is Moses, David, Phineas, Daniel, and Jeremiah. So we're going to touch base on hopefully all of them, although we spent a lot of time on Moses. We'll be right back. People from the Old Testament, we started this about five weeks ago, and we've been having a blast, and we wanted to do a short pause and recap and fill in some blanks and talk about some things that maybe didn't get covered. We talked about major significant players, well, all but one. Right. Phineas was maybe not quite on the level of Moses, David... Daniel or Jeremiah. Yeah, that's probably true. And you were, I think you were gone that day. I was you gone. You were playing sick at home. I, <laughs> are you accusing me of begging out know. with some phantom illness? Because no, it, no. Was, it was possible. No, but, no. And then today you forget your wallet, you miss lunch, you're I, a mess. You know, I you're am a mess. A mess. I, you would, uh, there's no chance outside looking in you'd ever know I, I made it through even, even a year of school. Like not <laughs> even a year of school. Yeah. Yeah. So let's not get off Moses yet because I think there's still some more things we can chat about. Now Moses, you know, his his prayers were from the heart, obviously, and he stood in the gap. He also, just this power of intercessory prayer. Let's talk about that. I mean, he, he God relented and changed his mind. Yeah, I mean, again, I think some of the scholars would suggest it was um, maybe a test between the two, but at the same time, there's enough biblical evidence that our prayers matter on some level besides just the idea that when we pray, we're trying to discern what God is already going to do. And and I do understand that view and I sympathize it. But you and I, we did what, maybe nine months on a prayer series? Yeah, we did. And I would say that it was one of the ongoing questions I know you and I had, many of our listeners had, is does prayer really matter? And I that was one of the takeaways from that series that yes, indeed, it does matter. It has the power somehow to shape things. Now, I don't know how that works always with a God uh, who is uh, omnipotent, but at the same time, he seems to invite him us into the process with him related to how future events are going to unfold. And that is a, that doesn't, some people, I think get worried that that diminishes God. I think that actually heightens his greatness, his willingness 
from his position of power and omnipotence to then enter into an authentic relationship with his creation. There isn't another God in the history of all of the different religions that you could make that same claim of. It's, it's part of what sets the Christian God apart. And also, I would say, magnifies his greatness and his willingness to let go of his greatness to be with his people. Mm-hmm. Well said, by the way. Well, thank you. Well, I, did, I did manage to get a peanut butter cracker, and so I'm not quite as hungry anymore. I, watched, I got the I blood watched, sugar starting to spike again. I watched again. you eat it during the break. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. by the way, you don't eat with your mouth open. I grew up in a German dinner table. Okay. Anybody that grew up in the same dinner table knows that it's Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Whoever eats the fastest gets the most. Okay. And so, yeah, you, just, you don't bother to close if that's going to slow you down. That's for sure. All right, let's talk about uh, another, something about Moses that I just love, and and. God chooses him for a mission, and he starts arguing with God. You know, <laughs> right. I talk too slow. My tongue and my my tongue, my speech doesn't work that great. And I know that feeling. Yeah, you get put in a position where you're supposed to do something, and you feel like God's called me to do this. And then you got that voice in your head that says, "Oh, really? Mm-hmm. You? Mm-hmm. What business do you have?" Yeah, that's that. That doubt was magnified in in his life, and I, I find it really interesting. Again, we talked a little earlier about the the Hebrew authors were really rich in their symbolism and the threads that they pull all throughout the text, and and so it's interesting to me in this interchange that you're describing between God and Moses that then what God asked Moses to do is he asked him to throw a staff on the ground. And the staff turns into a serpent, which then Moses picks up and back to the staff. And the first time we see the serpent show up in the biblical text in Genesis 3, that serpent is speaking doubt to uh, to the man and the woman, to Adam and Eve at the tree. And, and the serpent shows up multiple times in multiple forms throughout the text. And there's it, it is always part of the doubt that's being created. And doubt is, that, is what is going to stop us from walking within the, the pathways of God. We don't believe, we don't trust, those kinds of things. And so I, I think you look at Moses and, and he's 80 years old. Mm-hmm. Of course, he's going to doubt in this moment. I mean, of course, he's saying, I've been out in the wilderness for how long? I, I have been out to put me out to pasture.com and, and my life is over. I have nothing left. And so I would just imagine you, me, our listeners, Rosie, whoever, if we're 86 years old and God says, by the way, I have something for you. I don't know that my first reaction would be, yeah, I'm the obvious choice in this situation. <laughs> and, and so I, I do think that the doubt would be an understandable lead in that moment. But here's God's grace again, uh, revealing Moses's doubt by throwing the staff in the ground. And, and Moses would have been familiar with that symbol of the serpent and what that would have been. It would have, it would have told him something about his doubt. But then God's grace is like, well, let's bring Aaron along then too. Mm-hmm. And I, it's a phenomenal story. And I, and I don't think we're so upside down in our country that we value the, the so-called wisdom of the youth while we the elders need to sort of be their time is done. That version of society, it, it's the only version in the history of the world where we've been upside down that way. And and it doesn't mean you discard the youth. The youth need to be at the table too. But the idea that the 20 to 25-year-old should be leading the way is, is just an upside-down approach. And so, I, again, I think the story teaches us that we're not done when we're 60, 70, yeah, 80 years right. old. And one of the things I, I learned from studying Moses is that how important it is to be aware that you're stepping out in God's authority and power, not yeah. yours. Because yeah. instantly he goes, well, I can't, I, I don't speak well, slow of speech and tongue. And then he steps out in God's power and authority. Mm. And that's a game changer. It is a game changer. It is. I, I think that all of us go through the crisis of limitation at certain seasons of life, usually between 40 and 50 years old. And the people that begin to find wisdom are the people that walk in those kind of pathways of Moses, the, the, the people that walk and descend into humility. 
I, I think the, the more you go on in life, in fairness, the more, the less you know. If, if you're being honest with yourself, you realize, oh gosh, these are things that I can hold on to that are written in blood. I'm not giving this up. Uh, Jesus died on that cross. That tomb is empty. There's, there's a few other things that I would say about the faith that that are just, they are written in stone in my life and I will not depart from them. But there's so many other things that you you need to 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 achieve wisdom or ability to see as God sees. It starts with the pathway of descent and humility and and a recognition is like, this whole thing that's going on is way bigger than just me. Mm-hmm. And, and the people that find that wisdom are the people that walk in those paths of humility. And then they become these unshakable people. They become the kind of people that can stand in front of Pharaoh and say, by the way, let my people go. You just, you stand with a different kind of authority and a power that begins with humility. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel especially connected to Moses because do you want to hear how close I came to meeting Moses? Well, I'm trying to sort out the math or the possibilities. And so, yeah, I am intrigued indeed. Yeah, I was in Chicago okay. and I was on a radio program, the Sandy Rios show. Okay. And I'm sitting there uh, talking to her. And there's this obviously this nice big wall of glass like we have here in the studio. Right. And Charlton Heston walked out of the window. <laughs> That's not on, true. No, he was on after me. Actually, Charlton. Char- yeah, Charlton Heston. You're kidding. Out. And I, I looked over and I felt... <laughs> Did you think you're in the transfiguration at this moment? <laughs> <laughs> but I thought, Moses! <laughs> <laughs> he, but that's how... Uh, we've been talking about Moses now yeah. the last 25 minutes, yeah. and every time I think about him, that's who's in my mind, and I didn't realize it until you just said <laughs> right. it. Absolutely, that's yeah. what he looked like, for sure. Yeah, so I thought, Mo- uh, Moses is here. Did, did he raise his arms in that, in no, that he didn't, iconic thankfully. posture? Yeah. Oh, he, he, did. he had a nice tweed coat on, too. <laughs> he didn't have the, the robes and all that. But um, it was a, actually a fun moment. I had a nice chance to chat with him afterwards. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, did you, you didn't happen to ask him about his, his role as Moses, did you? I didn't. I was a little, um, a little starstruck at the I time. would imagine. Yeah, yeah that's somebody that would be starstruck around just, as well. Just a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think there's one living person that remains from the cast of the Ten Commandments. That's amazing. It's down to one person. Really? Yeah. um, But again, what a seminal figure. We talk about the fact that not just Christians know Moses. You know, when you study his life, uh, so much of his life does represent what God's kingdom is all about. And and that whole exodus from the slavery of Egypt, birth through the waters anew through the Red Sea into a new kind of people, there isn't a theologian alive uh, that, that would be biblically literate that wouldn't say this is at what's called an archetype precursor of the cross. It, it was a new birth experience for the nation of Israel pulled out of the slavery of Egypt. And, and that's an archetype of the, of the slavery to sin that we're pulled out of. So I think it's fascinating that in our culture, I, I don't know that you could name another biblical character outside of Jesus that our culture would at least have some association with. That That's probably true. wouldn't have had the same reaction as you in, in Chicago saying, Charlton Heston, it's Moses. I think most right. people would see him the same way, Christian or not. Yeah, right. Yeah. All right, we'll take a little break. When we come back, lots more on uh, some of the people we've studied so far in our uh, series on people of the Old Testament. If you have a comment or question, uh, please let me know what it is. You can text it over to 877-933-2484. Be right back.
All right, we're back. Dr. Peter Kapsner and I are so happy to be talking about people from the Old Testament. Our series started about six weeks ago, and we've covered Moses, David, Phineas, Daniel, and Jeremiah. We're going to just do a short recap before we move on. I don't know who we've got next week on the program. Rosie, do you know who our next program is? Yeah, I think Mitch Glazer, Mitch Dr. Glazer. Mitch Glazer is going to talk about Isaiah. That's going to be outstanding. Yeah, he wrote a book called On Isaiah 53. It's going to be great. Yeah, I'd be curious because I, I, I conflate Isaiah and Jeremiah just because they're close in the scriptures. They do a similar kind of ministry, but I would imagine that their their prophetic word that they had for the community at that time was very different. So yeah. I'm curious what I have to say. All right, Peter, before we move on from Moses, I think we have to bring up the, the parting of the Red Sea. Yeah. Uh, seriously, one of the most powerful, dramatic miracles in the Old Testament. That's so many witnessed. It is. Yeah. It is. It's, th- this is where God makes a way where there is no other way. And, and the forces of evil are bearing down upon right. the, the community. And, and the community is trying to have its escape from its, its slavery. Again, we talked in the previous segment a bit about that these are very real events, but the Hebrews are always underpinning their events with a theological message that, that is teaching us something about God and, and life in the kingdom. And so, uh, and I think in a similar way, when you talk about what the meaning of baptism and how it would have been understood in the early church, that go, that, that being birthed anew through the waters is a common theme in scripture. I mean, it happens with Noah's Ark where creation is birthed anew through the waters. And now here again, they're standing at the edge of the waters. There's no way out from sin. There's no way out from escape. Or in this case, it's Pharaoh and the Egyptian army mm-hmm. representing this. And, and God makes a way as yeah. only God can. And, yeah. and in this case, it was only for a small group of people to then live as as a new light shining community within the world, they they, they were supposed to to do that in this geographic location. You fast forward that now to the time of Jesus, and you see that the permanent parting of the Red Sea has happened. That that as we try to escape from sin bearing down on us, God does make a way. It even sets up the language of no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. God will provide a way of escape. That that this is Red Sea kind of language that we see right at the beginning of the yeah. text. And Pastor Robert Morgan, who wrote the Red Sea Rules. Uh, gave me a line that I just love because he said, consider the Israelites at the bank, mm. you know, with the water in front of them, charging army behind them, uh, mountains, you know, surrounding them. And he said, God had them exactly uh, where he wanted them. That gives me chills. It does me too. It does. It, it gives me chills. I, have you ever been in this horrible situation and you, have you ever stopped and thought, I wonder if God has me exactly yeah. where he wants me? That's an amazing thought for me. You know, it is for me. I, I think about the probably the most significant uh, threshold times in my own life come at the profound place where there is no other hope, right? I mean, Jesus says in, in his first beatitude in Matthew, blessed are the poor in spirit, or blessed are those who realize they absolutely have no hope, uh, for there's the kingdom of God. And sometimes God has to take us to those places in our lives through a series of events or, or failings that we had or external events that happen where you do look around and you see nothing but mountains and sea and, and, and a ferocious army coming. And in that place, God's like, now I can be your God. Mm-hmm. And, and you're not, you're, you don't have mixed motives right now. It's me or nothing. And, and I think that sets a foundation for a different kind of life. Mm-hmm. Let's move on from Moses. I think I know we'll always circle back. I think there's, we have one more guest that's going to talk about Moses from Good. a different perspective, yeah. which I think is going to be great. And I've, I've been excited to talk about this guest because I've been trying to get him on the show forever. <laughs> it has been forever. Forever. It's been forever. Yes. And yeah. I, I thought he owes me. He does. That's what I thought. In fairness, he is greatly, he might not know he's greatly in your debt right now, but he is. And he will He will come to grips with that. Okay. Now, should I preview who is it going to be? Well, I, it might be a kind of a fun teaser. I think it is a good teaser. I yeah. don't know when he's on. I think no, November or December. Rosie, do you know? Uh, 
November uh, the tenth. Tenth of November. Okay. Of sweet. November. Sweet. Is that right? Is that Wednesday? Yeah. Anyway, um, it's Bill Arnold. <laughs> it is Bill Arnold. <laughs> yeah, Who Bill knew? Arnold. Bill right. Arnold. Well, his name is Doctor Bill T. Arnold. It does have a T in the middle, and that does, does, does that does differentiate I have a C him from in the yes, middle of mine. So that makes him different. But Bill Arnold's going to interview Bill Arnold. I cannot wait. I can't. I either. will just be an innocent bystander in the studio for this interchange. Yeah, yeah. I cannot wait. Yeah, I remember uh, my pastor uh, a long time ago saying to me, "And I think about you kind of often." I go, "That's nice." <laughs> <laughs> he goes, "Yeah, one of my favorite Old Testament commentaries is by Professor Bill T. Arnold." Is that how you learned? That's about, how I learned about Bill T. Arnold. Yeah. And I thought, yeah. I wonder if he's using my material. Well, I think clearly. Like, that's part of what he owes you for. Totally. I mean, there, there's probably back royalties owed to you. Thank you. For years at Thank this Thank you point. that someone's saying it out loud. Yeah, no, I know. It's not easy to talk about these things, but you got to go there. Yeah, so on like November 10th, Dr. Bill T. Arnold will be on the show. So that is just three-ish short weeks from wait. now. I can't wait. Bill Arnold's yeah. going to interview Bill Arnold. Yeah. It'll be a very confusing day. <laughs> it will be. It's going to be great. Can't wait for that. Yeah. All right, let's uh, move on. And I know you've got some great insights on David. Well, I mean, I don't know if they're great insights, but but well, we can maybe some, some you insights. Have, yeah. You have some insights on David. Yeah, that might be overselling <laughs> the situation. But, well, one of the things that I, I find interesting is um, in the life of David and Bathsheba, that maybe Bathsheba is a bit misunderstood or overlooked in that story. Uh, and I wouldn't have known any of this except that I've had to teach this gender class and then ultimately a sexuality class the last 14 years. And so inevitably the story comes up of of David and Bathsheba as representative of a person who was filled with sort of the sexual lust, found himself in a place that he shouldn't have been, and then did what he did. And, And maybe that's part of the story. Uh, and, and clearly it's, it's, it's some dimension of it, but I think to reduce that story down to that, what, one of my favorite parts is, um, it's Bathsheba who is outliving David and really is the focal point of the story. The story starts out by saying that, uh, Bathsheba is very beautiful and the language of very beautiful there within the Hebrew language is the exact same phrase being used of Genesis one when it talks about being good or very good. It's, it's, it's very tov is the, the language in the Hebrew. And then not only that, she's also on the rooftop and she's naked and unashamed about it. And now that hearkens the language of Genesis 2, where it talks about that these two are standing there naked and unashamed. And the point of that is that Genesis 1 and 2, among the, the many, many, many things that those books teach us, is that we are invited to be naked and unashamed, meaning that we're fully open and vulnerable to God. And that to be good isn't just the idea of the opposite of bad or I've done good moral things. To be good means that you're living within God's intentions and you're helping as his steward to realize the future that's coming. So again, to to be good is that you're his steward, you're living with his his intentions and helping the future. And you're supposed to be doing that in an open, vulnerable way in which God is clearly the power and and you are a vessel of that power. So now enter Bathsheba into the scene. She is described as very good. But she has almost everything stripped away from her. And I know you've talked about this recently on the show about what happened and the loss of Uriah and, uh, Uriah and Honor and all of that. Uh, but this is a woman that had absolutely everything taken from her related to what could have been a beautiful future. And yet at the end of the story, when Israel now has fallen into tremendous civil strife and they're trying to decide the way forward about who is going to be the next king after David, it is ultimately Bathsheba who is sort of the deciding vote that is cast and make sure that Solomon is on the throne. And so this story is a story of this Genesis one and two kind of woman, not perfect. She was subject to the fall of course as well. But what, what the authors are trying to teach us is here's a woman who was living within God's attention, uh, intentionality, naked and unashamed, fully open and vulnerable to God's future. She had everything stripped from her. 
Like, I, I just think about the people that I know that have had everything stripped from them. They've, they've just been subject of abuse or pain and suffering, injustice, whatever it all is. And yet God brought her to the end to make sure that she was the one who was there long after David was gone to make sure that Solomon was the rightful king over Israel. It, it actually reminds me of the story of Joseph that we just did with David Clark a couple of weeks ago, where Joseph suffered the loss of almost everything. And yet who's there at the end to make sure that God's future is unfolding? It's Joseph. And you, and you see this pattern play itself over and over and over again in the text, that when we think we are now cast aside and worthless, that it is the people for whom things get stripped away and suffer through these things that God just raises up and says, you, I will use you now on behalf of the future. It's a phenomenal uh, part of the story that I think poor Bathsheba gets overlooked because she's actually, this isn't, the central part of the story is not kingly lust. The central part of the story is this woman who was this redemptive character on behalf of the future, and she just gets so overlooked. Okay, that was <clears throat> really an interesting explanation. Uh, it's, good, it's good background. And I'm just in the middle of having this attack of, panic going, oh, I forgot about Joseph. I'm talking about our, our five-week recap. It should be a six-week recap, and it should include Joseph, it should, we like, talked about that's that true. last week with Dr. David Clark. But again, this is what happens when, when we get to our... We're, you know, you and I can still be used, Bill, but th- this is the kind of holy forgetfulness that, you know, <laughs> that, that might be present in our lives moving Lord, forward. Lord, you can use me, but I don't, <laughs> I don't remember stuff real good no more. <laughs> I think indeed. I think that that's clearly representative of that. Yeah. Yes, indeed. So thanks for bringing that up and yeah, but, making me look, you know, kind of... <laughs> Stupid on air. Well, I thought we had talked. Well, but even Moses, right? Moses, the same theme is present. Here's right. a person that is out in the wilderness that basically everything has been stripped away, and now it's time. And I just, for for those of us that have walked through those really deep, dark valleys, and we think it's all over, it's done, I'm worthless, I have no future. The the stories of Scripture over and over again teach us something entirely different. In, in fact, it's almost always the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Phineas is that was with. Uh, T dog. That was with, and I miss that you was the week that. that I missed. You're gonna have to He's tell so me what. Enjoyable. Oh, he was amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I, but I didn't even get a chance to hear the episode with with T dog yet. Okay. So I'm curious what we learned from that episode. Well, you should. Go I ahead. haven't learned anything <laughs> actually. I shouldn't use we. I, that's the wrong pronoun. You. Yeah. Well, I'm curious what you would learn well, from that. I think that. you should go listen to it. I think <laughs> maybe I'll do just that in our next recap. I'll, we'll cover some ground. Yeah, I think that'd be good. <laughs> you know, there's more than one Phineas in Scripture too, and of course, I didn't think there was more than one. So. Uh, I see. I'm, I'm learning. Eightfold. I'm learning from you right now. No, actually, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So there, there you, you go. go. Yep. All right. Let's uh, uh, chat a little bit about um, Jeremiah. Well, again, I just that was interesting. That was a whole different tact that time that we had because it was just it was more life application than getting deep in the history, and it was great. It I mean, was great. Yeah, Mark was wonderful to to chat through the the Jeremiah stuff, but. I, some of the takeaways from Jeremiah were much more personal in their application uh, as we were talking through some of that. And and I just think somebody who is willing to grieve on the, on the behalf of the fate of other people is, again, one of those kingdom characteristics. And, and are you willing to cry for the fate of others and want to intercede through those tears? And clearly Jeremiah would get angry at times, as he should. But the fact that he was the weeping prophet, the fact that he was saddened by what was going on with the beautiful people of Israel and how they had fallen into idolatry and been and been sucked into all of that. I think it's a really helpful invitation that though we should be angry about what's happening in the world around us when, when sin is disfiguring things, at the same time a very appropriate and maybe even deeper response is to weep for the imagers who who are being so deeply impacted by this. Mm-hmm. So I appreciated that week with Mark a lot. I did too. It was more of an application. I don't know if oh, we were super clear with the fact we want to dig into these uh, prophets, we want to learn everything, and he gave this great uh, illustrations of 
the applications from Jeremiah in his own life. He did. So he did. it was fun to fill in a couple of blanks. And just as a reminder, God calls Moses when he's 80, but he calls Jeremiah when he was probably about 17. That was news to me. That was like with the Daniel thing. I didn't know that they were teenagers when they got exiled into Babylon either. I didn't know either. that either. Yeah, I just how how young. So we just got done talking earlier about that we should not despise the the elders and the wise and just and and cast them aside. But at the same time, you look at the young people that God used in the text too. Yeah. It just, I think what that teaches us is there isn't an age requirement to participate in God's kingdom. Yeah. Right. I mean, you don't get the junior Holy Spirit, and right. and you're, you you are invited in at any season of life. So, what do you think when you say to your seventeen year old son? Do your homework, and he goes, ah, I can't, Dad. Just got uh, called by God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, what that's are you that's a bit a, of a trump a card, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. At, the, at that point, you probably say good and go for it. Yeah, you got not, not much else to say there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let me take a short break. Dr. Peter Kapsner and I are uh, talking about our Old Testament series. We've covered uh, now it's more than five. It's six. It is. We've six covered indeed, uh, yes. Moses, David, Phineas, uh, Daniel. Jeremiah and Joseph. I'm going to do that for memory. All six. Yeah. We'll be right back. to the show. Just got a nice text from Luke. He says, where can we get the Afternoons with Bill soundtrack? <laughs> you do list. have a good soundtrack. I do. Yeah. Good, yeah. You bumpers. talked about the Beatles earlier, but that your taste in music for the for the bumpers here is, is second to none. Yeah, thanks. Love it. Thanks. All right. Let's talk a little bit more about Jeremiah. Uh, he did get to a point where he was pretty much at wit's end and even to the point where he was doubting God. If I go to Jeremiah 15, verse 18, it says, why is my pain unceasing? My wound incurable, refusing to be healed. Will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? Ouch. <laughs> wow. He's I mean, coming at God with some ammo. Yeah, I, I've been in some dark places, but that's really dark. I mean, that's, I, yeah, yeah. You, you would, you, but again, I think anybody listening can at least understand the periphery of sort of that desperation, that lack of hope. I, I, if we're honest about the world, it's not an easy place. And, yeah. and that's because it isn't within the kingdom of darkness right now. So we're going to end up in those places and, and yeah, understandable. Well, what do you say to someone, Peter, a friend, colleague that's going through a difficult, dark time and they're having these moments of doubt? And what kind of words do you show up with? Oh, or maybe man. there's no words at all. Maybe yeah, you say, well, I, just sit and have coffee. Yeah, I think... Golly, that's such a good question, right? Because it's probably not a one-size-fits-all response to just come in with I agree. XYZ. You have to be able to discern in those moments. But I, I do know, at least for me, what's most helpful is if people try to give me the easy answer, well, if you just do X, then you'll be fine by tomorrow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just that, that doesn't work for me. I just, to have people that enter into it somehow with me, they, they don't have to enter into the, maybe the desperation of it, or they don't have to enter into the despondency of it, but just that I know that they, they genuinely care and they don't just say something, hey, like, I'll pray for you to get out of the conversation. They, they genuinely care about the plight. That's probably the most helpful thing because yeah. some things are just going to take a while. And I think some things, Bill, frankly, 
there, there's wounds that we're going to carry. They do scar over, but I think there's wounds that we carry from this world because it is a battle that we're in that are just going to be wounds for a lifetime. And, and they don't get resolved entirely until God reconciles all things. If they could get resolved entirely in this world, then God wouldn't need to come and reconcile the whole thing at the end of the day. So what does it mean to learn how to bear these things together um, so that we don't Great end point. up in permanent despondency? Great point, Peter. Yeah. I'm sure there was a friend, maybe, and this is not in Scripture, but that heard about Jeremiah being emotionally spent and doubting mm. God, and he goes, I'll talk to him. I'll get him, <laughs> yeah. I'll get him straightened out. Yeah, that's right. Just <laughs> whip him up into shape after, you know. Ah, you leave it yeah. to me, I'll handle it. Yeah, quick, quick lunch and tell him to suck it up, and that's it. You know, no, I'm sure that they stopped, they, but they understood themselves as people in community, the Jews did. They didn't see themselves as these independent ent- uh, entities that were separate from everybody else. And so while we can only speculate that, that Jeremiah would have had those kind of friends, we can say with some measure of certainty that Jeremiah knew the people that he was with. And and I am never more despondent in life in, in some of the seasons that I've walked in 50 years when I don't really know who my people are and mm-hmm. I don't really know to whom I belong. And you feel really lonely. And so I think that is such a great invitation to what the Christian community is supposed to be, where we do. I would hope that if I was in that place and I texted you those words, that and, and I know you would, you, you would come along and say, hey, and, and you probably have any number of things to be able to say, both encouraging, but also to, you know, a, a bit confrontational at times as I mm-hmm. need it. So, yeah. So when I think of stepping into someone's pain, when I think of Jeremiah being spent doubting God and he's got pain. And then I think of Jesus in John eleven thirty five, where it said Jesus wept. Mm-hmm. And I think, well, he knew what was going to happen. Yet he still felt sadness and he stepped into the pain of those around him. Mm-hmm. even though he knew exactly what he was going to do. Mm. I think. Yeah, I think boy, he knew boy. exactly what he was going to do. That's a great point, right? Bill. No, that's a great point. I haven't so, put that together before. But do I ever sit and think, look at the compassion that he's showing. Because mm-hmm. in in that case, if it was you or me, wouldn't you be like in the best mood? Hey, don't cry. <laughs> right. There's right. better days ahead, like in the next five <laughs> right. minutes. I'm going to handle this. And, and we kind of try to soothe each other with that I stuff, agree. don't we? Yes. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I have wondered for a little while if, if one of the key signs of spiritual maturity is the the natural supernatural weeping over other people that just comes sort of out without a lot of thought where mm-hmm. where you just see the plight and and you weep and and I do think there's something about spiritual maturity in that I think whatever our metrics of maturity are and there are many I think to have when you think that the heavens were opened because the god of compassion and love saw the plight of his people and and decided to to uh, empty himself of his divinity and walk it out among us to become subject to death and the, the, those are the weepings of heaven. That's the grief of heaven that caused that. And and I think, um, back to Moses for just a second, there's a part of the Exodus story where they've been enslaved and under the thumb and oppression of Pharaoh for so long that it says that the people were crying out. But I was with the scholar at one point, and he made he made the point, he said, it doesn't even say what they were crying out about anymore. They were just crying out. They So saddened had they become by the generational uh, sin and, and tyranny that they had experienced. They were crying out, but they didn't even know for what. And in that crying out, God moved. That That's when God began to move his hand. And and so I just think there's something, all of the different facets that make up this this eternal, inexhaustible God, I think one of the underappreciated ones is how God does weep for and with his people. And that is, I think, a sign of spiritual maturity. Mm-hmm. I struggle with that a little bit, um, only because when I think of of God, I always go, well, if I'm sad, does he get sad with me? Or mm. he goes, well, no, I'm God. <laughs> right, I got this right. covered. Yeah. I have this entirely handled. Mm. Do I go to God and go, are you bummed too? Because <laughs> I'm bummed. Right. 
right? Maybe not in the same way, right? But, <laughs> right. but you know, I guess, I think, and maybe this is the wrong analogy, right? But having five kids, sometimes their their scope, their horizon is so limited. And so they're going to be bummed out by something right. that I know as a dad that it's going to be okay by the next day or the next day after that. But they, but for me to be bummed out with them in that space, even though I know it's a pretty limited horizon into which they're looking, brings a unity and a bond between the two of us in my willingness, even though I have a broader scope. And I wonder if it's a both and for God, that he can see the broader picture and knows it's going to be okay, but he also knows that his limited horizon children that make up all of us just need to have somebody in their grief in that moment as well. because yeah, we know in our heart that God works all things together for yeah. good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose, yep. right? Yep. Sometimes those truthful words, even amongst brothers and sisters in Christ, in the moment of crisis, although it's absolutely true, it's not always what they need. Yeah, it's having been in pastoral ministry, it's one of those things that <clears throat> I think we intuitively uh, knew as a team, but we, I was in a community life pastor situation, and so we dealt with grief and death and sudden loss quite often. And I can't think of too many times in which I would have led with that. And, and I think you've made a really beautiful point in that it doesn't mean it's not true, but there's also a sense in discerning what is needed for the moment. And, and most often in the moment of the sudden grief and the shock and the loss, that you, you speak words of compassion from that place of hope, even if you don't actually say the hope out loud. You, you'd sort of represent the hope for them while you're speaking the words of compassion. And, and I think over time, people then do, they're ready to say, oh, but this whole thing isn't over. God still has my back. But that's hardly ever the first feeling you have as, you know, these fallen children that we are and and don't see the whole scope of things. So I, I, I just, it's amazing to me how compassionate and graceful God is because our reaction probably should be, it's okay, God has our back. But as we grieve with, as we should, God still enters into that time. I just, oh, he's such a, just a magnificent God that we serve. Yeah, because the lamenting part is, is not easy to understand or to do well. It's not. I, 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 until COVID, I, I want to say that I started hearing more and more and more during COVID of people saying that God gave us the gift of lamenting when things go wrong. I don't know if that was part of your background growing up. I had not heard of anything about lament and how no. to lament or anything for anything growing up. No, uh, yeah, you kind of dealt with things and moved on, right? Yeah, entirely, as opposed mm-hmm. to just an ability to pour. There's a whole book, right? Lamentations. And yeah, I can't say that was part of my scripture growing up. I mean, it was in the Bible. I didn't mean that, but it just no, meant right. that it was not something we would have read really regularly. But it's not less God-inspired than other parts of the text. So, Yeah, so we are reductionistic at times where mm-hmm. we sort of try to figure out what lane you're in and then what you need from me. And that's... And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. (laughs) I mean, if you're in a difficult situation, if you're sad, I might want to say, can I come over and rake your yard Mm -hmm. or can I come over and help you cry? Yeah, right. Exactly. You know, because maybe that's what you need. You need some help around the house or you just need someone to cry with. Yeah. And either one of those two things, right? And it's it's why learning to discern what's needed um, in in a given moment is just so terribly important rather than using the same tool for every situation. And and again, that just, that comes from wisdom and and comes from growth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And of course, uh, it's a nice text coming in. Our God is the only God who promises us hope. It really is the differentiating characteristic of, of the kingdom. I mean, I, I'm sure as you have done as well, as I've lost people in life, as, as, the, as the realities of a terminal world uh, crash in upon us with the people that we love, that idea that we grieve and we really grieve, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope, that hope is utterly unexplainable. Uh, I, I can't drum that kind of hope up. 
in the midst of that grief of losing people. But the hope is it, just because I can't drum it up doesn't mean it isn't real. It's mm-hmm. very real in the midst of that. And it, it's one of the, the reasons why I decided to become a follower of the way. This way of Jesus, it's the real deal. Mm-hmm. Peter, this is a wonderful time of study on Wednesdays at 5 Central where we look at the Old Testament and we try to discover what we can and learn and grow. And uh, so far, I have loved this, and I'm looking forward to uh, next week, which I believe, again, if I have it right, is Isaiah. I'm very much looking forward yeah. to that. Yeah, Learning with, so much. I mean, Doc, the guests that you have access to, they're, they're, they're amazing. I'm learning so like, much in like, the series. Like Bill Arnold. I have, well, him. I have, clearly, I have him coming clearly, up in November. Have, again, that is circled on my calendar, for Good. sure. Yes. yes, Dr. Bill T. Arnold will Cannot be joining wait. us talking about uh, Moses as well. So that's going to be a great uh, time with probably find out I'm related to him or something. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm just looking forward to you taking credit for his commentaries that he's totally. written. Yeah, that's going to be You know who said that? Bill Arnold said that's that. That's exactly right. <laughs> we need to have a little I'm sound I'm going to keep bike. things as murky as possible. Oh, for sure. <laughs> for sure. That's brilliant. All right. Thank you so much, Peter. And that wraps up our show for the day. I am so glad you spent time with uh, us. Thank you so much for doing that. And thank you for listening to Faith Radio and supporting us, caring about us, praying for us. All that means the world to me and to us here at Faith Radio. Have a great night, everyone. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.